All right, welcome in. This is the deep dive episode, and today we're going to be talking with Ian Gray. Uh, he's on the Thursday episode every time, as you probably have heard before. But if you're a new listener after December, um, yeah, he joins us every Thursday to do a deep dive into an episode, and it will be for American Eagle Outfitters. But before we hit that, we have to talk about our friends at Seven Investing, right, Ryan? Yeah, this is our sales pitch, and it's going really well, actually. So you guys are all signing up. That's right. Yeah, this is much appreciated. And they had their new picks this month. New year, new picks, new them. And <laughs> yes. uh, it's uh, they look pretty interesting. I'm not going to lie. There was one that I had never come across, but I was pretty uh, – it piqued my interest. That would probably be Matt's, right? Yes, yes. yes. Uh, but, yeah, if you use the code CCM, you get $10 off. feels like a no-brainer. Uh, I've been doing it constantly to uh, get us more kickbacks. So <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, no, it's uh, it is a good deal. And uh, yeah, it's code CCM. So it's only $7 for your first month. Yeah, then they just, had new, they just had new picks. You can see they're very timely right now if you want to do it. Ooh, yes. All right. Uh, I think that's it though. Yep. All right. Let's head to the show. Welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are not financial advisors. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guest is not formal advice or a recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. All right. Welcome in, everyone. Today, we're talking American Eagle. What's the O on that? Was it A E O uh, Outfitters. Outfitters? Okay, yeah. I'm on on the roll here. We have Ian back, and we're back from the holiday season. So, how was tax loss harvesting harvesting season, guys? Is uh, that with that? Didn't exist this year. No, no. 2020 stocks only go up. So. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you probably had zero losses, right? But Ian, in all seriousness, how was your uh, holiday season? It was really good. Got to spend a little time with the family and open some good presents and ate some good food. So can't complain at all. But I, mean, I, I do want to say really enjoyed the 25 stocks of Christmas it was a lot of fun uh, coming on for one of the shows and to just hear all the great guests you had on. It was, it was a really fun, to, uh, fun program you did. Yeah. And if you're someone that started listening during the 25 stocks of Christmas, um, this is another one of our shows we do on a regular basis. We do those, these every week and it's going to be the three of us. And we're going to do a deep dive into a single company, probably like 30 to 40 minutes. And hopefully after listening, you understand it well. So today we're doing American Eagle Outfitters and I'll toss it over to Ryan to introduce the company. Yeah, so American Eagle, some people might recognize this name just from wandering around malls and seeing it, uh, but they are a multi-brand specialty retailer. So they operate and license over 1300 stores in the US, Canada, Mexico, and Hong Kong. And they appeal primarily to youth and teen demographics, also sort of like university age kids, I, I guess kids, you know, uh, millennials, people. Gen Z. Yeah. And so uh, the two primary brands that they offer are American Eagle and Aerie. Uh, Do and you then, know if you're saying that right? Aerie? I, I hope so. I was going to ask you because I, I hope we're not botching it the entire show. But Yeah. All right. We're going to go with Aerie. Uh, but they also have something called Todd Snyder, New York, but that's just basically two stores that offer premium menswear. Um, which so it's pretty insignificant to the business but american eagle is its older brand and it has men and women's apparel but it's mostly notable for its denim jeans that's sort of how they got uh started back in like the 1980s they were really known for their outdoorsy stuff uh but now airy is 
one of the bigger, more faster growing uh, parts of the business. And this is kind of their woke brand. I'm putting woke in air quotes here. Uh, and so a big tenet for that brand is inclusivity. So it's got some men's stuff, but it's more, it's bigger with women. So they have intimates is what they call it, which is just like bras, underwear, swimsuits, that type of thing. And then they also branch out into pretty much all apparel for women. Uh, and this is growing a lot faster than American Eagle. It, it has had 24 consecutive quarters of double digit revenue growth. Pretty fascinating there. That, that I mean, that's, it's becoming a pretty, yeah. big part of the business yeah it might become majority of their business sometime in the next few years here so it is very very important and uh i mean if you pay attention to instagram followers currently american eagle has 3.8 and airy has 1.4 million no. so no. uh you know i don't know <laughs> that's the i don't know I mean, what data that provides but it is free marketing yeah what's their ev to instagram followers that's the real question <laughs> that's an important <laughs> metric uh, uh, 83% of their stores are wholly owned and operated and the remaining 17% are third-party licensed. So, uh, basically those ones are all over the place. They have, uh, stores in China, Europe, Middle East, South America. And basically when they branch out of the U S they use third-party licensees, uh, to open those stores, maybe because they know the area better, know what kind of merchandise people are looking for, that kind of thing. Uh, about 70% of the stores are just American Eagle brand. And then the other 30% are just Airy brand or a blend of both. Okay. Um, and then history, American Eagle's an old company, like almost 45 years old now. They were founded in 1977 out of Silverman's menswear. Uh, which was a family-run menswear business. Jerry and Mark Silverman were the two sons of that family. Uh, and they started it because they thought they needed to diversify the business. And over the ninth, over the 80s, they grew. Uh, American Eagle start to gr started to grow to become sort of the big player in their business. Uh, and in 1991, they sold their stake to, I think it's called like the Schlottensteins. I'm probably getting that wrong. I don't know if I put it down here. Um, but they took the company public in 1994 and I think it was at 88 cents a share then, and they had 167 stores. So they've eight X or nine X their store count since then. And it's sitting at about $20 a share now. So yeah, it's been pretty good run. Pretty good run. Yeah. That's a great overview. I'll have the industry and landscape and some of their competitors. So as we all know, the global apparel market is over $1 trillion. So AEO, they're not going to come up on any theoretical like market saturation anytime soon. This is not someone like Walmart or anyone like that where you're worried about how, you know, they've already dominated an entire neighborhood. You know, they only have a few billion dollars in revenue. Uh, the landscape, though, they have a major D to C transition among apparel and then among AEO themselves. So they're really trying to get American Eagle and Ari into D to C and specifically because of COVID, but also it was slowly happening pre COVID. And then there's been a big transition away from malls for apparel retailers, um, which investors do need to watch out for to see if AEO is managing that transi transition. Well, um, direct competitors would be, you know, someone like Abercrombie and Fitch H and M is a kind of a competitor forever. 21 is also kind of a competitor. If you want, Someone on the cheaper end that would be considered a competitor for apparel, it's someone like the Gap, maybe. And then if you go higher up, you'd probably have the stock of uh, Capri Holdings, which owns like Versace and uh, Michael Kors. Yeah. So that's or kind Louis of the Vuitton. Louis Vuitton, stuff like that. That would be on the higher end, but uh, Abercrombie and Fitch is kind of in that mid luxury thing where mm -hmm. it's not real luxury, but it's not like, you know, some $10 sweatpants you get at the Gap. 
Um, indirect competitors, these are kind of companies that could either steal their margins or growth. That would be someone like, you know, Amazon could come in and steal some stuff at their own party stuff. Target is probably a competitor as well. I didn't put Walmart on there because I think they're too cheap with the apparel they offer. And then someone like Stitch Fix is also a competitor that's more online only. Uh, and then there is Nordstrom's, Macy's, JCPenney. We all know what those are. Um, and the only question I have here is, should investors be focused on competitors when looking at AEO? I was kind of saying no, but what do you guys think? I mean, you can uh, you can have multiple winners in yeah. this space. So I, I don't know if it matters that much. And as far as like competitive landscapes goes, this is one of the most competitive landscapes in the world, physical retail, other than maybe like auto or yeah. I can't even think of any other ones, but uh yeah, I wouldn't pay too much attention to it. Yeah, Ian, what do you, yeah. what do you have? I think, I think you were really smart, though, to point out some of the indirect competitors, um, particularly someone like Amazon or Stitch Fix that's more online-based because that represents a threat to their business model. It's not necessarily that someone's going to, like some of those direct competitors like Abercrombie and Fitch, it doesn't matter so much if they're selling this T-shirt or that T-shirt, but what matters is the business model they're approaching. And so yeah. um, I think that's the thing that you should be focused on when looking at American Eagle is, is there any threats to the business model, not necessarily just direct competitors? Yeah, I mean, they could sell on Stitch Fix, they could sell on Amazon, they probably do, but that could hurt their margins over time because Amazon and Stitch Fix have the control over the uh, consumer. But next up is management. So Ian, do you want to hit that? Yep. So like Ryan mentioned, um, the Schottensteins uh, bought this company back in uh, 1991, 92. And so the current CEO is Jay Schottenstein, who was the uh, the son of kind of that Schottenstein family. Um, he became, he's currently a CEO. He became CEO in 2014. He was also previously CEO from 1992 until 2002. Um, in between his two stints, he was the CEO of DSW, Designer Shoe Warehouse. And so he's had a lot of experience um, in this, in this industry, basically for the last 30 years. So pretty experienced guy. Um, he took over as the interim in 2014. And then in late 2015, uh, they made him the full-time CEO. He was the executive chairman of the board. So I think I imagine he was kind of thinking he was going to be more in the retirement mode. And then, uh, they kind of hit some tough times and decided, okay, we have to, you know, <laughs> I have to get back in there and, and fix it up a little bit since he's been back in the company. Um, the company's up about 32% since he took over. Um, so, which is losing to the market, but um, he has done some good things. At the peak, the company was up about 83% after he took over. So um, he's made some good efforts. It's been a tough landscape, but it is losing to the market over that period. Do you know I do want to highlight, oh, go ahead, Ryan. I was say, do you know how old he is? I don't have that exact number, but he looked to be somewhere mid sixties to early seventies, somewhere in that range. And I did see on the 2019, or they mentioned it on the latest conference call, they did not take executive bonuses in 2019. So that, I mean, if they missed some of their numbers and they actually, you know, fell, the stock fell because of that, the, the shareholders wanted to get performance that they may have expected. Um, they didn't, you know, irrationally reward their executive team, but continuing. Right. No. And that's a good point. It's, it's good to see when brands that, that management teams are living and dying with the shareholders. Yeah. Um, I think I do want to point out that they made a good decision to pivot more strongly to Airy. I think it was launched in 2006. Um, but that was, as Ryan mentioned, mostly, um, kind of intimates and not as uh, full scale as they have become, but more recently they've really made that stronger pivot to Airy being 
more, you know, this body positivity um, brand. And they got a lot of kind of tailwinds from the Me Too movement because there was a lot of fallout um, with Victoria's Secret and L Brands and some of the, those types of things. And so um, they were able to kind of take some market share during that time and have, as you've mentioned, Ryan, have been growing at double digit rates. And so that, that looking back on it, that looks to be a really good decision by management to focus more on that side of the business. Um, most of the executives have been around for like 10 plus years. And so it's a pretty experienced team. They know the business. They've been around um, this company and all worked together for a long time. So a lot of stability. Um, insiders own a little over 6% of the company. Uh, and almost all of that is uh, Jay Schottenstein's position. He, most of the other insiders don't own too much, but he, he has the largest chunk. And then a lot of institutional ownership. And I will point out, they also have a significant short interest, which looks to be somewhere around 15% of total shares outstanding, um, which I assume is largely due to the pandemic and people shorting a retail brand. Retail is dying. We hear that all the time. And so um, not entirely surprising that there's a larger short interest here. Yeah. And that, that's not really important if you're like a five-year time horizon type of investor, um, because in the end, it's just about the earnings power. But in the short run, that could be if someone's looking for some sort of short-term trade, if there's that short interest, there could eventually be a short squeeze, but I'll hit to the valuation. So the ticker is AEO. Ryan, you got something? Yeah, I was going to say, while we're on the topic of sort of shareholders and short sellers, uh, I, I came across this because Kermit Capital, if you know him on Twitter, DM me and said, what do you know about AEO? Uh, it's Gavin Baker's largest holding. Oh, so really? really? I think it's one of his largest holdings. Yeah, yeah. I looked at the 13F for, I'm forgetting, uh, a treaties management or something like that. Um, so yeah, if you needed some confirmation bias, yeah, that's yeah. who that's, you're uh, holding shares with. That is major confirmation bias. All right, I'll hit the uh, yeah the valuation ticker is AEO market cap three point four two billion and enterprise value of about four point six two billion. They took out a large convertible note and do have a lot of operating lease liabilities, which can get classified as debt. So really, when you're doing the enterprise value, you may want to adjust for some things if you think that that convertible note is going to get you know converted to equity and not be. Um, it, it's not going to be as uh, whatever, like it's not actual debt on the balance sheet. It's kind of a hybrid. Uh, the EV to sales though is about 1.2 over the past 12 months. EV to EBITDA is 7.1 over the past 12 months. Do you guys think that is an acceptable metric to value AEO on, or would you rather do cash flow or something like that? I mean, you got to, uh, it's, I, I've never understood people using EBITDA for retail. I feel like depreciation yeah, yeah. matters a ton. Yeah, and I'm just getting these numbers from Coifin. Um, so those are the references there. You might calculate your own numbers. EV to operating cash flow is 20. Uh, so that's a bit higher, more of a normal valuation there. Although they are getting a lot of that eaten by CapEx over the last few months. Uh, Pre-COVID, they were at close to double this for operating cash flow. I think they were pushing above 400 million for the trailing 12 months. Uh, and like those winter quarters and then the fall of 2019. Uh, the dividend is back now. They did defer it, but now it is back and it got paid out on December 30th of 2020. And now it is around 14 cents a quarter, which is not much, um, but it's something. It's there. It's like a, that's like less than 1% yield, yeah, right? Yeah. So it's not something where you're buying this for the dividend. Uh, I should also note, though, that a decrease in inventory has accounted for over $100 million in cash flow over the last nine months. That's not something that can continue forever, but it does show that they're you know increasing their inventory efficiency during a turbulent time like this. I think that's a good indication that management is you know, managing the company well. Uh, only question I have here, what do you guys think the best value valuation metric is for someone like AEO, I would probably go EV to free cash flow. That's kind of my favorite. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like you say that for most businesses. Uh, yeah. Gap isn't gap isn't like a terrible metric. Uh, gap earnings mm-hmm. for like a retail business like this, but yeah, fr- free cash flow is probably the most important. And then the enterprise value, uh, you just have to take into account that a lot of that, I believe, is coming from the convertible debt. And it's some of it, yeah. The one number I have here is from Coifin, so that could also be including the operating lease liabilities, which you might, depending on how you want to classify, it, you might not not, not that put that in the long term debt. But Ian, what do you think? What's your uh, go to valuation metrics for this company? Yeah, I think either free cash flow or um, operating cash flow are gonna you're gonna want to do EV to one of those numbers just because you do want to see how management is using leverage and how that's impacting the business. And you don't want it to be like, you don't want to use the EBITDA number devoid of leverage in this case, because they are using leverage and um, they will probably continue to use leverage. And so that's going to have a material impact on, uh, on the business. Right. And I'd also probably look at gross margins because if they can keep that in the level high and they're growing their revenue on um, that should eventually, you know, get down to the free cash flow line, which, you know, Ryan will hit next with the earnings. Right? That's right. Uh, and I'm going to give some of the last 12 month numbers and then most recent quarter, because there's a, uh, sort of a, there's been a big change obviously over the last year. So uh, over the last 12 months, revenue has been 3.8 billion. That's down 11% year over year. Uh, last 12 month operating income has been negative 17 million. Last year around this time, it was about 341 million. So um, obviously the uh, profitability has been affected uh, by COVID. And then over the last five years, they typically generate between 200 and 300 million in net income. Uh, operating cash flow was 227 million. If you're looking at the difference between operating cash flow and uh, operating income or uh, net income, you're probably, uh, a lot of that's probably coming from the depreciation cost. Uh, and then Q3, so the most recent quarter, total revenue decreased about 3% to 1 point, basically 1 billion. Uh, and most of that decline is from lower mall traffic. That's not really a surprise to anyone. But if you separate them out into brands, American Eagle revenue was down 11% and Aerie revenue was still up 34% year over year, which is pretty impressive growth. A lot of that came from online. So overall digital sales for all of American Eagle was up about 29% year over year. A lot of that came from Aerie. Uh, so the whole company has been sort of held up by Aerie being a little more digitally native uh, compared to American Eagle, it feels like a lot more American Eagle diehard customers. I don't really know any of those, but if you are, you're probably shopping in person. Um, operating income was flat year over year for the quarter. So uh, this quarter, they did generate about 103 million. If if you subtract out COVID protocol expenses, gross margins, this was kind of interesting, was also higher this time versus last year at about 40%. So they actually printed higher gross profit Uh, in Q3 this year than they did last year. But they said a lot of this was because they reduced their discounts. So uh, like they just stopped doing as many discounts in Q3. I don't know how to think about that. Does that show like, oh, they were able to create some pricing power with their brands or is like, Uh, Does that upset customers and they created some profits in the short term? I think better inventory efficiency and maybe the DGC stuff online um, helped out a bit, but I mean, if the gross margins are going up, uh, consistently, I mean, shareholders got to love that. 
Yeah, and then net income for the quarter was $58 million, about $20 million less than last year. There was just higher operating expenses all around. A lot of that was COVID-related. Earnings per share, uh, this is just something to pay attention to, might look a little worse next year because of that convertible debt that they offered in April, um, and it would create about 8% dilution. So I believe they said it's unrecognized, but it could be 184 million outstanding shares, and right yeah, now they have about 169. Yeah, uh, yeah. If if that converts into shares, do you know we probably should have looked this up? Does anyone know what the strike price is? I don't. I don't either. Right. Someone, if you're going to invest, it's probably uh, smart yeah. to look at that. Definitely worth looking at that. Uh, what else do we have, Ian? You got the balance sheet liquidity. Yep. So I'll I'll dive into that right now. So they've got a positive net cash position if leases aren't counted as debt, and that kind of that comes down to a little bit of your personal preference about whether you want to consider these. Um, leases for buildings and things of that nature to be debt or not. Um, either way, they've got about $692 million in cash. They have $320 million, $21 million in long-term debt. Um, there was a revolving line of credit, not this uh, convertible note that they were talking about that uh, they said at the end of the quarter, they said that they've repaid. Um, so either way they'd have, they have somewhere, we'll see exactly how the numbers come out on the next balance sheet, but they've got, um, if you don't include those operating leases, they've got about $350 million um, in cash, net cash. So one thing I do want to point out here is that their inventory ratio was down to about four times. Inventory turnover ratio was down to about four times from six times. And we haven't talked about this number on the uh, show before, but I think it's a good one for a retailer like this. Inventory turnover ratio basically means how many times do they sell inventory throughout the year? And so if you think about it in simplest terms, how many times do they restock the store and sell it all again? Um, sell every, you know, basically take everything in the store, sell it, restock it, sell it. How many times do they do that in a year? And the number now is saying that they do that four times versus their historical average of about six times. That's likely due to the pandemic. Um, and would have had a negative impact on earnings and cash flow just because they weren't able to go through inventory as much and earn that gross margin on every extra item they sold. And so that's a number to keep in mind as you look at their balance sheet and as you look at American Eagle going forward. I would expect that coming out of this pandemic, they're going to get back up to around six times or higher. And with the direct-to-consumer business, it should get even higher than that if that continues to grow um, as a larger portion of the business. But something to keep an eye on. Yeah, balance sheet looks good overall. All right, we're going to take a break and then get back for competitive advantages on the second half of the show. Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi includes advanced security to help protect all your connected devices. You'll get real-time alerts. Oh, like this one. So you don't have to worry about malware. Or when your kid downloads a song from a shady link. And now all your computer can play is... Red color, red color, where are you? All blocked, thanks to advanced security, included with Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi. Advanced security must be enabled in the Panoramic Wi-Fi app. Restrictions apply. All right, welcome back. Next up is competitive advantages. I think we had Ian going first on our old schedule here. So we're going to do all three of these are whatever the second half of the show segments. We're going to start with Ian, then Ryan, then go to me, and then go back to Ian. So Ian, first up, what are your competitive advantages? Did you see any with uh, AEO here? Yeah, I think it's hard to find competitive advantages for something that is, it's not quite a commodity, but it is um, 
it's it borders on a commodity in my mind. Um, and so one thing I will point out, though, is that whether you consider this a competitive advantage or not, is their experience management team, which I mentioned earlier, um, starting with Schottenstein, the CEO who's been in the industry for over 30 years, um, very familiar with the industry and just a lot of continuity. And so they shouldn't have any sorts of issues with, um, hopefully shouldn't have any sort of issues with internal strife or, you know, revolving pieces. They have their team, they know how to execute. And um, if you trust that team, they should be around for a while longer. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Ryan, what do you got? Yeah, my next, uh, I guess for me, they target high school and university age students. So, uh, and, and that customer cohort knows how to shop online. They're digitally capable, I guess, is a nice way to say it. Um, and I, I have to imagine a lot of that, that, that is what's driving probably some omni-channel success and e-commerce success as well. Uh, like Aries online sales grew 83% year over year this quarter. I have to imagine that they're going to have success in the fourth quarter and the Christmas season as well online. Um, and I think the right customer mix is a bit of a competitive advantage because I think traditional retailers kind of lack it. And that's what we've seen, um, like Nordstrom's Gap, Macy's, Sears, companies like that have really struggled because they have not only were they not digital native, so they weren't ready to go online, but it's harder to go online when a lot of your customers aren't used to shopping there. So they've struggled with that. Yeah, and then I have another note that I saw on the conference call that 20, they grew digital acquisitions, so new customers for their digital whatever websites or someone that checked out clothes on either any of these websites that they're using grew 23% last quarter, which that's probably another number to keep track of to see if they're getting that transition from the in-store crossing over, because that's tough. You got to transition your customer to a whole new way of buying. Um, if they can do that, they can build that online competitive advantage. But I'll hit mine, it's similar to Ryan's. So they have a large store footprint, um, which can be a little bit of a you know, disadvantage, especially right now, you have 1300 stores, but it's not as bad as you know, JCPenney, Macy's, Nordstrom, someone like that with those big box retailers. Um, and it will likely help them transition to online easier, which as you guys have pointed out, the numbers we've shown, you know, they have transitioned to online very easily. For example, though, right now, online is 37% of their sales, which is a lot higher than people may have thought. Wow. Um, outside of that, though, it, it is hard, like Ian said, to find any competitive advantages. I mean, it, there's a lot of companies similar to Abercrombie. Or, sorry. Yeah, I almost said I said Abercrombie. There, there's a lot of companies similar to uh, American Eagle. Yeah, you got to do something that really sticks out or something super unique if you're in like one of the most competitive spaces in, yeah. in order to have an advantage. Uh, future growth opportunities, Ian, you're first, right? Yeah, kind of along that line. Um, I think one of the ways that they can grow and, and start to stand out a little bit is maybe do some acquisitions. There's a lot of D2C brands out there right now and they're small brands and they're growing and they, um, you know, potentially some of them are looking for some exits. And so I'd love to see if American Eagle actually got aggressive with some of this cash that it has and says, you know what, we're going to buy a couple of these small D2C brands. We've figured out how to grow airy and we're going to take that formula and apply it to some more of these brands and really start to um, become more of an umbrella over many D2C brands in some of these categories. You know, maybe it's some stuff that's complementary to airy. Maybe it's other things that are um, in a new direction or some more menswear type stuff, but they have some of this industry knowledge and they seem to have done a good job with airy and this D2C thing. So I'd love to see them um, take on some, some more, like I said, I think some acquisitions would be kind of interesting in this area. 
Yeah, because D to C, these uh, a lot of these brands have struggled to reach profitability. There's a scale that you have to get to. AEO has gotten to there. Um, so if they could apply that to some smaller companies, that, that definitely could work out. So, uh, yeah. Ryan, what do, you, what do you have for future growth opportunities? Um, yeah, mine's increasing store count. Uh, so I think a lot of traditional mall retailers and mall businesses in general uh, and maybe specific locations will fail or maybe have already failed because of COVID. I think right now is a time when uh, if uh, American Eagle is aggressive in expanding their store count, they can probably get a lot of cheap leases, uh, a lot of cheap real estate, because I have to imagine mall real estate doesn't seem that appealing right now for most, most, uh, retailers. Yeah. Yep. But yeah. yeah. That just seems like a logical next step. Yeah. That would be interesting to try to go. I mean, we do know commercial real estate is super cheap right now. Um, yeah, we got, I mean, <laughs> we're in a cheap office right now. We are. Yeah. Nice I mean, office, they're basically super cheap. They are throwing those out. Yeah. They could lock in some, uh, yeah, you know, some deals there. Um, that is a bit risky though. You know, are there any, are there that many good spots left? Yeah. Right now it looks like they're sort of just sticking to the same track they have been. Okay. Uh, at, but I think almost all their new store opens this quarter were airy. Okay. Uh, or Aries, but yeah, so not American Eagle. Um, I guess uh-huh. that's probably a good idea is playing into the brand that's growing more, Yeah, obviously. But all right, what do you have? Yeah, I have Aries for my future growth opportunity. I mean, there's not really any complicated ones for them. You can see it right on their earnings report. It's going to be the, the brand that's growing the quickest. I mean, if you believe they can build this brand up, you know, with pricing power, they can have it to be top of mind for the younger generation. I mean, it's going to be worth a lot more. Um, you know, number to track for them might be the digital revenue for Aries specifically. It was up 83% last quarter. If they continue that high double-digit revenue growth, it's not going to be 80% forever. Um, they could get that up to, you know, I mean, I think they crossed the $1 billion mark for trailing 12-month revenue for Aries, maybe. Um, could be wrong on that. But, they, I mean, they could get up to $2 billion in revenue. That's a lot of profits potentially from that. Um, it sounds It sounds super simple, but... I mean, that's it. I mean, if you believe in that brand, it's kind of tough to, dis- if you decide that it's something that people are going to grow into, it's going to become a dominant brand for whatever their niche is. I mean, there's plenty of opportunity for them there. All right. Oh, go ahead, Ryan. And I would rather be an American Eagles spot than to be some up and coming DTC brand Yeah. right now, because it feels like everyone for the longest time was like, if you're not starting online or if you're not online, you're screwed. But now it seems like if you don't have some sort of physical presence, it's going to be hard to differentiate yourself. It's, yeah, the hybrid model feels like the best position to be in. Yeah. yeah. Uh, highlights and lowlights? Ian? Yeah, I can dive into the highlights and lowlights. And I'll start with Aerie and kind of piggyback off that conversation we were just having. But I think they Aerie's growing a lot. And they're proving that they have this distribution model to go that's hybrid, like you said, that we can – you know, we can sell it online and we can sell it in our stores. And that just raises awareness. People see your brand around. Um, they see you in physical locations and it kind of raises your brand status a little bit too. And so, um, you know, like I mentioned, the growth opportunity, I think that whether it's directly through area or whether it's, it's through new brands that they launch or that they acquire, I think that model is really a great highlight for them. They've got a solid balance sheet. And I think it's also worth pointing out, they made it through the pandemic. There were some of these types of brands that didn't make it through the pandemic. And I think that shows some of the strength that American Eagle has, that they did make it through the pandemic and that Aries still growing and putting up some pretty big numbers. Um, for my low light, I'm just going to stick to one. 
but its own brand really isn't growing much and it's actually declined in the last 12 months, um, which is understandable due to the pandemic. But even before that, it didn't have very impressive growth numbers. And so they, they've had to make a transition to, to more and more revenue coming from Aerie. And uh, I think that transition is going to continue, but. Okay. Am I up? Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, okay. Highlights for me. This was kind of, I'm picking, I'm piggybacking off the topic that, uh, Bill Brewster and McMurtry talked about, which was like the, there's going to be winners and losers coming out of COVID. Uh, and retail seems like a spot where that's going to really play out. And as a byproduct of that, I think there's going to be a lot of customer consolidation into, and hopefully American Eagle is a beneficiary of that. Um, if AEO, which American Eagle Outfitters can be a winner or at least have the balance sheet to be a survivor, it's, I think they're in a really good spot and their normalized earnings moving forward um, are probably going to be as good, if not better than before. Uh, and that's probably what a lot of the big shareholders are looking at right now. Low lights for me, uh, while they are adapting to the new, or to, they have adapted to the COVID environment, we, they are still predominantly a physical retailer and we don't know how long lockdowns are gonna go on for. Um, and it feels like we're getting out the other end of COVID, but it right now we're still locked down where we are. So it's uh, it's kind of hard to tell. It's a little unpredictable. Also, I thought this valuation would be a lot cheaper, if I'm being honest. I know we're not and supposed to use that as a low light, but it's, it's, it's up way more than when it started the year. Yeah, initially it looked cheap when you look at that EBITDA number, but when you get down to the cash flow stuff, um, I mean, it's not crazy. Uh, and it has bumped up because I did have a good quarter the last quarter. It, uh, but it's, it's fair. It's fair. If this company gets back to printing 200 to 300 million in net income or free cash flow, they're going to be in, then this is going to seem really cheap. Yeah. But uh, right now, I don't think they're out of the woods yet. So I guess that's my low light. What yeah. about you? Yeah. You got to believe they can get there. Uh, highlights for me, I mean, the fact that they generated free cash flow, I I believe they have, um, I'm trusting Koifin on this one, over the past 12 months, you know, with over $1 billion in operating lease liabilities, you know, 1,300 stores on their balance sheet is kind of a testament, again, to the management and the company as a whole. They really managed this crisis well. Uh, low light for me, though, is stores could weigh them down. Like, even when COVID ends, the stores in these malls, if they're in poor locations, definitely could weigh down their profits and their just ability to generate cash. I should note, though, that 60% of their leases are up in the next 12 to 24 months. So that should give them flexibility. Like, you know, they could either go from one location to the next, take out a store, move it to another part of the town, because a lot of these malls are kind of dying, right? If you have a location in a mall with no traffic, uh, I mean, that store is just, no matter how good of a product you have, it's just not going to do well. Um, and then lastly, I don't know if this is a business I can understand when things are improving versus declining. Like, I don't know why people like, you know, with M versus H&M versus Abercrombie and Fitch versus, you know, someone like Gap. Um, it's tough for me to gauge so that it might be, it's, it's a simple business, but it might end up in my too hard pile. And there's so many different things that end up tweaking earnings just a little bit, but it's every yeah. single quarter yeah. because there's yeah, so yeah. much inventory management that goes around it. And there's so many ad backs when you're calculating cash flow. So it's just, uh, I don't know, depreciation also is kind of a pain in the butt, but- uh, <laughs> Always is, right? Yeah. Um, All right. I, know, I think that's it, right? Our yeah, question. we have more or less interested wrap-up question. Ian, what do you think? Maybe just slightly more interested. Interesting. I think it's an interesting model and the airy growth is impressive to me. Okay. Yeah, Ryan? 
I'm going to go not interested. I was pretty interested when I heard it was like Gavin Baker's largest holding. That'd be an interesting reopen play, but there's just a little too much uncertainty for it uh, for me to be that interested. Yeah, in yeah. I mean, I'm kind of on the fence, like, you know, with Ian. If I had to lean one way, I'd probably be slightly more interested, but it seems like, I don't know, I'm pretty neutral. No way I'm saying uh I mean, we never do this, but no way I would ever say like, no, this is definitely a buy recommendation. I'm immediately putting it in my portfolio. Interesting company to put on the watch list, but at a valuation like this, it's not something where I think, you know, valuation versus their growth prospects and the potential profitability in a normal environment. I mean, uh, I don't know. It doesn't seem that appealing, right? Yeah. I just think there's hopefully better places to put your money possibly right now. Potentially. It, 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 I also would not have been surprised if this was at half the valuation. Yeah, yeah. Just because of where it, uh, sort of the narrative around being a physical retailer right now. Mm-hmm. But again, if you are a shareholder in something like this, or you're thinking of buying shares, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they do well over the next five years. You know, if they execute, they have a lot of potential to do well. All right. Uh, anything else before we wrap things up, guys? I think that's it. All right. That's going to do it for this episode. As always, make sure to use our promo code CCM at checkout at 7investing to get uh, $10 off your first month. Remember, we are not financial advisors. Anything we say on the show is not formal advice or recommendation. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. 